You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll end our last week here together before we start uh, over again in January. So this is our last meeting of this semester. Uh, we'll take off the next two weeks and begin again on January 8th. And uh, I believe uh, Jay Mayo will be picking up with you guys in, in January, begin speaking uh, to you. So let's, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get going together. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for these men. Uh, thank you for um, the, the power of uh, your spirit that's at work in the lives of these men in this room. And with that in mind, Father, I pray that you would help us as men in this city <clears throat> to be about your business um, today and every day that we would uh, sense and feel the urgency of the call in our lives to uh, be men who reconcile others to you, uh, that we'd be men who understand the responsibility that you've given us in the marketplace and in our homes and in the hobbies that we choose to engage in, that we are supposed to be your representative there first and foremost. So Father, I pray today as we conclude our thought on what it means to be a partner in the gospel and and today to look at what it means to advance the gospel in and through our lives, Father, you'd open up our our hearts and our minds to uh, grasp the truths that you'd have us to hold on to today. Father, I pray for uh, breakthroughs today, even in my own life, of things maybe I've seen or listened to all of my life or maybe in the last few years that you would just allow your spirit to to break through and, and and for it to become part of who I am or part of who we are so that we might practice something that we've been hearing about for a very long time. I pray that, God, because I, I long for, for your name to be made known. I long for your glory to be shown upon uh, the culture who doesn't believe and, and, and thinks that we are fools because we follow after you. And so, Lord, I pray you bless our time together today. Open up our eyes to see and hear your word as you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Gentlemen, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, I want to kind of walk, uh, walk through a couple of words to set the stage for today. A couple of words that we've looked at in the past few weeks together. And uh, then we're going to dive into a few thoughts I've given you there on your note-taking guide. And uh, just allow the Lord to bless our time together. So we've talked really for about three or four weeks now about being partners in the gospel and what that means. And if you remember in the first week when Paul said grace and peace to you in verse 2 from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, that he was speaking about a life stance when he uses this word peace. He's talking about confidence in God. And as men of God, we can have confidence in God because he's what he's done in and through our lives Uh, with this grace gift of Jesus. But we started building this idea of what it means for for me and for you to live a kind of of life, to have this life stance that understands uh, this idea of being a partner in the gospel. And so we've talked uh, several weeks now unpacking this idea of what it means to be a partner in the gospel. And we've talked about the reality that you are where you are in the marketplace to be a partner in the gospel, uh, to bring the real picture of who God is to the crowd that is gathering around your life. And if you remember, I've walked you through several different leadership responsibilities that that you have as a a leader, as a child of God in this marketplace, 
your life is to be a living example before others. So before you even speak any words of truth, people should be able to look at your life based on the fruit of your life and the actions in your life, the way you talk, the way you respond, the way you treat people, just by your living example, people should be able to see that there's something different about you, that it's just not flesh and bones, that, that there's, a, there's a being, God, his Holy Spirit lives in you. They should be able to see that by the way you treat and live among people. I talked to you about living an inviting kind of life, and when you live an inviting kind of life, that you will have a crowd of people that start gathering around you. And I've challenged you now for a couple of weeks to start thinking about your crowd. Who is the crowd of people that are curious about who, who's in you? Because you live like you live, they're curious. Why, why are you different? Why do, I, why do you respond differently? Why do you treat me differently? Why do you choose to use different words or, or respond in a different way in a, in a high pressure situation? And your life is an invitation and people start to crowd around you because they're curious about the Jesus in you, even if they don't know that it's Jesus in you yet. That's when I've talked to you at least two times now, third time's a charm. Remember I said that your wife loves Jesus in you, period. That's all she's falling in love with is the Jesus that's in you. That's all you have to offer. That's all you have to offer anybody that's in your crowd around you is the Jesus that's in you. That's why it's so important to take seriously this partnership of the gospel. And so when there's a crowd of people around you, then people begin to discover the truth that is in you. And that's when it becomes your responsibility to rightly divide the truth. I used to work with a a pastor who would say, "Um, you just go do your work in the business place and you bring people to me and I'll lead them to Jesus. That was foolishness. I used to think it was a, a great saying, you know, that a man of God would say, you just go do your work in the marketplace and bring them to me and I'll lead them to Jesus. That's all of our responsibilities, not his responsibility. That's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to be able to rightly divide the truth and to be able to, when people are starting to discover the Jesus in you, you should be able to rightly divide the truth and lead them into a relationship with God. After that leadership stage responsibility, I talked about the new stages, the last two that come where once you lead someone into a relationship with God, you've got a responsibility to walk with them. I'm going to write a book one day on the pairs that we see in the Bible. Um, You you look at at all the different pairs in the Bible, Um, Abraham and Lot, uh, Saul and David, and then David and Jonathan, Uh, Moses and Aaron. Uh, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Barnabas. You see all these relationships in the Bible where people walked with other people and they sharpened one another and they matured one another and they got to see God do great things in and through their lives because they collaborated together in the partnership. Man, I think that'd be a great book. I gotta get to that one day. You and I, we have a responsibility. Once we know that there are believers around us, specifically young, immature, growing believers We have a responsibility in the relationship to pray and understand how we're supposed to speak into their lives so that we are the agent that God uses through the power of his Holy Spirit. We're the agent that God uses to continue to mature those people. We call those disciples. And so once you you see God moving people in the crowd around your life, people that don't know Jesus, and they accept Christ, they step into a relationship with God through Jesus, then you have disciples that are following you. 
And you and I have a responsibility just like we see with, with John and with Jesus and with Paul and with Timothy and with Luke and many others in the New Testament. You and I have a responsibility with the disciples that God has placed around us, that he's given us. And so it means that we need to all the more press into who God is and what he wants to do in our lives so that the overflow of Jesus in our lives will disciple those who are around us. Then the last stage of responsibility is for us to be wise enough in this partnership in the gospel to know that once your disciples are growing, that you have got to turn things over to them that you're doing. In other words, they're not supposed to be breastfeeding all of their lives. You got to pull them off. You got to set them free. You got to let them go. They can't be spoon fed all their lives. They've got to be in situations where the only hope that they have is that God would come through. You can't always do things for other people. You've got to stretch them. You've got to let them grow. And that's when, we, that's when as leaders, we delegate. And you guys know how to do that at work, right? You know how to delegate. You know how to, to give things over and to pass things off when other people are ready for them or they're just about ready and they don't think they're ready, but you know they're ready and you hand it off to them and they pull it off, right? We've got to do the same thing spiritually, when our disciples get to a point and we understand this partnership, the part of the partnership is passing along the gospel to others so that they can go do the same things that you and I have done in Christ. So this is a part of the partnership. And we saw all along the way that God is beginning this in us. He's working it out in us and he'll bring it to completion in us. In other words, the partnership's not just about salvation. We'll talk about this a little bit more in just a, just a few moments, but the partnership isn't just about getting somebody saved. It's not about eternal, an eternal destination. That's part of it, but that's the icing on the cake. The partnership in the gospel is the here and now. It's the, it's the things that God wants to include you in that you can only be included in because you're a partner with him in this gospel message. And so he said in verse nine, Paul said, and we talked about this last week, it's my prayer, here's my prayer, that as you're doing this, that love will abound more and more. And I talked to you last week about the idea that leadership must be driven by love. Leadership must be driven by love. Love must abound more and more and more. And that's what Paul was praying for. Today, I want you to pick up with me in verse 12. I'm gonna read a few verses together and then we're gonna dive into some thoughts. Look at verse 12. Paul says... I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now remember, he's in prison because he was talking about Jesus. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment, uh, that the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Jump down to verse 19. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice for I, that I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Christ, <clears throat> that this will return, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. What he's saying there, look, if Christ, if it's time for me to die, that's a good thing. I'm going to go to be with Christ. But if I live, I'm going to keep producing fruit. You see, here even Paul is talking 
further, deeper about his understanding of the partnership. The partnership, whether in good times or what we would consider sometimes bad times if we lose perspective, we're thrown in prison. He said, look, that doesn't matter. All of this is for God's good. I was thrown in prison for God's good. That's part of the partnership. It's part of my responsibility. And in fact, God did that so that the imperial guard and that other brothers and sisters in Christ would be encouraged because I am in prison. But he goes on to say there in verse two, look, if I live in the flesh, if I get out of here, if I get out of this prison cell and I continue to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, he just means, look, that's that's golden because I get to get out and still uh, actively take place in this partnership. But he's torn. Look in verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that would be far better. He gets that. I mean, he gets, here's the idea. He gets that the partnership is about Christ. It's about being with Christ in the partnership. It's about experiencing Jesus in the midst of the rub of the partnership. That's what fires Paul up. That's what fuels him. That's what encourages him. That he gets to be with Jesus and to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the partnership. But he says, look, it'd be even better if I were just with him And all of this was removed. So he's hard pressed between the two. He goes on to say in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see the responsibility that he feels with the people that God uh, has surrounded his life with. I need to remain in the flesh because it's necessary because I need to walk with you even longer. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to the glory of Christ because of my coming to you again. Now verse 27, we'll end with this. Only let the man of your life be worthy of the gospel. Today, gentlemen, I want to talk to you about really two phrases. The idea of the manner of our life being worthy of the gospel, but if you'll go back to verse 12 for this reason. Today I want to talk to you about advancement of the gospel. What does it look like for you to advance the gospel in your life. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers, in verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What Paul was getting after here is this. I don't care what happens to me if it serves to advance the gospel in and through my life. Here's the rub with me when I read a scripture like that. Does that mean that I'd be okay if it meant for God to advance the gospel in my life if he struck my wife with cancer? Would I be happy in Christ if it meant that the Lord took one of my children? Would I be satisfied in Jesus in this idea of advancing the gospel if he chose again to strike me with a disease that puts me in another coma, but this time I don't come out like I came out? Last time he healed me. 85% of what I went into was a death rate. It was a ticket to six feet under. Generally, the 15% of people that came out of what I came out of, what he healed me from, come out of what we've come to know as a vegetable. Someone who can't function anymore. I mean, what if? The question is, the idea of the partnership of the gospel is getting to a place where it's all about Jesus in our lives. 
And whatever happens around us, if that pushes us deeper into an understanding of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in and through our lives, then we're okay with that. Or even if the most precious people around us, if something were to to come into their lives that God ordains, am I okay with that so long as it advances the gospel? Paul's sitting in prison, not fearing for his life. He basically says, look, if I die, if I don't make it out of here, it's okay. I'm going to go be with Jesus. But he, he was confident. He was at peace because nothing else mattered except for Jesus being made known in and through his life. Whether you realize it or not, that's what we signed up for. We may have thought it was about an eternal destination being in heaven rather than being in hell. And like I said earlier, that's part of it, but that's icing on the cake. The reality is what we signed up for is, is, is God sovereignly ordaining things in our lives to advance the gospel. And when we get that, we'll really experience what life is all about. We will be at peace. We will live a fulfilled life. Our jobs become meaningful because they become so much more than just putting bread on the table or buying us things. They become a vehicle or an avenue for Jesus to do the things that he wants to do in and through our lives so the gospel will be advanced in our lives and through our lives. Today, what I wanted to do is just answer the question, how does this, what does this actually look like in our lives? What does it look like for the gospel to be advanced in our lives? And I, I thought of a, two things today I wanted to share with you. And if we get to the second half, I've got 13 things for you that I want to share with you. But we're going to start with two. What does it look like for the gospel to actually, for us to be in a place where it's advanced in our lives? Well, the first thing we got to do is, is focus on a, a daily inward preparation. Every single day of our lives that we focus on a, an inward preparation to face our day. And so the first bullet point I have for you is this idea that we must abide in Christ. Keep your finger in Philippians, turn over to John chapter 15, verse 4. John 15, verse 4. And what we're going to look at is this idea of what it means to abide in Christ. If we're going to get anything done for the gospel... It's going to be because we are abiding in Christ or remaining in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 reads this way. I'll let you get there. All right, John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. And I need to slow down when I read because think about who's talking to us here. Think about what he's saying to us. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus talking to us. He's giving us a clear expression of what it looks like for us to walk with him in such a way that the gospel might be advanced in and through our lives. He says in verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm gonna read that again. He is the vine and we are the branches. We're not the vine. It's not up to us. 
where we play a dependent role, dependent role upon who Jesus is in our life as the vine. We're connected to him. The life flow is through him. The nutrients are through him. The enrichment is through him. The fruit, the growth, everything is through him. He's the vine. We are the branches. He goes on to say again, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. So here's the idea, guys. Every day, if we're looking to advance the gospel in the marketplace, it starts with a perception. It starts with an idea. It, start, it starts with how, what should my day look like? How should I start my day? And I'm telling you, it starts with you every single morning making a stance, making a decision that you're gonna abide in Christ, that you're gonna remain in him, that all of the words that come out of your mouth, all of the actions, all of the responses in the meetings, all the, the potential to, to shade away from the ethical decision, everything must abide in Christ. And when we do that, the gospel will be advanced. How did Jesus walk? First John chapter two, verse six says that whoever says he abides in him ought to walk as Christ walked. Well, how did Christ walk? Well, back in Philippians chapter two, verse three, the scripture says this, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Look after the interest of others, having this in mind uh, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Chapter two goes on to tell us how Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he humbled himself and came and served so that the gospel would be advanced. Here's the reality, and I got this note for you, embolden Christ's path to exaltation was through the humble service of others. How is the gospel advanced in and through your life in the marketplace? First of all, you've got to abide in Christ. You've got to walk with him. You've got to let him continue to shape and change you as you work out your salvation. Paul also talks about in chapter two of Philippians. And guys, this happens at the office. You advance the gospel at the office by looking after the interests of others. I would call the office your post. It's the place where God has enlisted you. All your years of study and, 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 and experience that are all balled up into who you are at the workplace, he has fashioned that in you because he wanted to put you on the post at the office. That's your place. That's your place to advance the gospel in the marketplace, the culture. It's your place to, to have the crowd form around you. That's the place where you're moving people towards discipleship. That's the place where you're introducing the idea of the great God that's within you. That's your post. And so when the scripture says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, look after the interests of others, you have got to figure out how to do that with the people that God has put around you in your marketplace, in your post. That's where you advance the gospel. Follow along in your notes there. I wrote this. When we abide in Christ, we are filled with the fruit of his righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We talked about this last week, but the only way we're gonna get anything done is when we abide and yield to the reality that Jesus wants to work in and through our lives. When I prayed in a in prayer in the opening that we would have breakthroughs today, 
I hope that that's a breakthrough for somebody in this room. That Jesus isn't just working on you. So many people who are in Christ still live in fear of God because of sin that trips you up or things that distract you. Jesus isn't just working on you. He wants to work through you. He's taking care of your sin. So don't let that be an excuse to not engaging the mission. Don't let sin that trips you up, should you, should you deal with it, allow him to deal with it. The reality is some of you are still trying to deal with your sin thinking that you're the vine, you're the branch. He's the only one that can take care of the sin that you're so easily entangled with. Let him deal with that, but don't let it disqualify you or let it become an excuse to why you're not working or allowing him to work, advancing the gospel in and through your lives. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you think that God has shelved you and that he doesn't want to use you to advance the gospel because of something you're done or something that you're tripped up in and you're doing right now. He's bigger than all of that. And he has redeemed you from that. And when God looks at you now, if you're a, if you're a, a son of the living king, of the living God, he looks at you through the blood of Jesus. And he sees the potential in you that is his spirit So maybe it's just you that, you know, you need to lay it down and go, God, today I'm going to abide in you. And I'm not going to use this sin as an excuse any longer not to be used by you to advance the gospel. Second thing we must do is we must pray, gentlemen. We've got to pray. And I'm learning this. I'm, I, I almost didn't want to teach you this because I, I feel like I have so much to learn in, in the area of, of prayer in my life. I pray, I pray a lot, I pray all day and, and I live in a, in a mindset of prayer but I just, I feel like there's still so much more that I need to, need to learn. But part of the daily preparation in advancing the gospel is, is prayer and it's, it's a huge part. Paul says in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You hear what he's saying? And sometimes we can, we can think of this in a trite manner that Paul's just going, okay, guys, thanks for praying. No, he's counting on the prayers of those that are, are in, involved in the advancement of, of the gospel with him. He's counting on them because he knows that the, the prayer is the means to opening up what God will, can and will do in and through our lives. It's through prayer. It's through talking to him. I put in your notes here that prayer is the most overlooked and underutilized tool that literally changes the playing field. How does this practically play out in your life at your post, at the office? Well, if you're wise enough to be listening to the Spirit, you know that there's a group of people called your crowd that's around you right now. They're looking at you. They're wondering what's different about you. You see the things that they're chasing after that is not bringing satisfaction to the longing of their soul that only Jesus can fill. You know that the Jesus is in you is what they need and they're curious. You might make a list of those names. 
You might make a list of the names of the people that are in your crowd, the people that are in your office place, or maybe even they're not even in your crowd yet. They're so disconnected and maybe they're pressing against the Jesus that's in you and fighting you on that. Maybe they're a part of your prayer list too. Like Paul was counting on the prayers of the people that were supporting him in the mission. They don't know it yet, but people around you are counting on the prayers that you might pray for them on your, at your post in the marketplace. So I encourage you, write down a list of names in your office. Men and women that you know by the demonstration of their lives that they are not in a relationship with God, write down their names and begin to pray for them and ask God to change them so that the gospel might be advanced in their lives. Listen, prayer changes the playing field. The scripture we read in John just a moment ago, Jesus himself said, you can't do anything without me. By the way, I'm not gonna take time to do this this morning, but this is the only time in scripture where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ Jesus. It's interesting because it kind of starts to mess with your mind and the idea of, okay, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here the idea is it's the Spirit of Christ. I'm just gonna flavor that because some of you may wanna go do some study on that. I'd love to talk to you about that sometime and see what you learn. Let's take a look at some of these uh, ways that prayer changes things. I wrote these down, uh, just pondering prayer in my own life. It's the difference between seeing our day as God sees it versus how we perceive our day. Without prayer, we live a distracted life. And this is talking again about an inward daily preparation as you're going to advance the gospel. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to abide in Christ and you're supposed to pray. Why are you supposed to pray? Because it changes the way we see our day. If we're not careful, this morning, this morning, my alarm went off at 4.45. My routine generally is to pop up and clear out all my junk mail, get it off my iPhone so that I can not have to worry about that later. Then I spend a time in prayer and just sitting with the Lord and then I get going. This morning, I popped up 4.45, iPhone up, 36 junk mail. By nine o'clock, it'll be 57. It's the same number every day. And so I started deleting and I went down two and I put it down. And I said, you know what? This is a distraction. I started thinking about you guys. I started thinking about the responsibility this morning, the responsibility of my day. And all of a sudden, the spirit allowed me to see what was becoming a distraction so that I could set it aside. Prayer, when you walk into the office, is the most important thing that you can be doing so that your eyes will be open to see the things that God wants you to see so that you will not be distracted by the things that he does not want you to be distracted by. It's a, it's a game changer. The second thing I wrote is this. It's a difference between trying to move forward in our own strength or in our flesh. Rather than being moved forward, the word should be being there instead of begin. Um, good old spell check changed that for me. Moving forward, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, your wives, your kids, your coworkers, people at church, um, on the golf course, uh, out hunting, whatever you find yourself doing, at the end of the day, people don't need to see you. And at the end of the day, people don't need to see me. They need to see Jesus at work in me and they need to see Jesus at work in you. Listen, when it's, when it's all said and done at the end of the day, if what I've done has not been empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's gonna be burned up. I mean, at the judgment, at the judgment, when we as Christ followers stand before God and our judgment is different from those who are not in Christ, our works will be judged. 
And so at the end of the day, if what I've done has not been empowered and, and by the Holy Spirit, and I've not done things perceiving them as God sees them and engaging what he wants me to engage, they're worthless. And so what I'm working uh, at now as I move closer to 50 in my life than any other age that I'm, I'm closer to, what I'm wrestling with is I'm tired of wasting time. I'm tired of doing things that don't matter. I mean, I'm even getting to the point where things that I enjoy become less important to me because they're still a waste of time if they're not being used to advance the gospel. Now, you're going, okay, hold on now, wait a minute. Let's not get too carried away, Scott. I mean, seriously. I'm just telling you where I am. I'm not trying to be something I'm not in front of you. I'm telling you what I'm wrestling with. I'm not trying to make you feel or or guilt you or any, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just, I'm wrestling with what I'm teaching you. I want you to wrestle with me in this. What does it mean for us to engage the gospel, guys? We've only got so much breath left to live and if we've got breath left to live, Christ has given it to us so that we can advance the gospel. The next thing I wrote about prayer is this, it's the difference between lasting results and near misses. It's the difference between lasting results and near misses. I'm tired of barely getting there. I'm tired of almost. I'm tired of it could have been. I've been praying now for two years for God to do something in our midst we can't take credit for, that our gift sets collaboratively could not have done. I'm asking God to literally blow us away with some type of God-sized event because I'm tired of what man can offer. I'm, I'm honest, I'm tired of what churches offer. I'm I'm tired of great music and great messages if they're near misses. And I think a lot of times, most of the time, I think they're near misses. Because I know what it's like to step into the presence of God. You do too. I know what it's like to encounter Him. You do too. But so often we settle for what, what we can conjure up, what we can do branch can't do anything without the vine and I'm, I'm tired of near misses. I want to be a part of something that's lasting and something that makes a difference. Something that we know, that we can say, surely our God was among us. We know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. It wasn't just a good message. It wasn't just great music today. It wasn't just another good kids program. It was God. That's what I'm after. That's what I want. And I believe that's what it means to advance the gospel. These last couple of things I wrote about prayer, it's the difference between fulfilling God's mission for our lives and living for ourselves. Man, it's the, the, God's, God's mission for our lives is an adventure. Um, and I, and I, I can't even put words around how much more I want of that. I've been guilty in my lifetime, even serving 25 years as a pastor, guilty in my lifetime for settling in for what is comfortable, settling in for what we we do on a weekend and week out basis. I challenge our staff here often, generally privately, sometimes publicly. We work all week long to do what we do on Sunday. We ought to be able to do that. I mean, is that the sum total of what it means for us to advance the gospel as a staff here at Stonegate Fellowship Church? I'm saying there's gotta be more. I'm saying there better be more. I love what we do here. I love what God's doing here. I love the life that he's changing, 
but there's always more. We cannot box him into a comfortable experience because he longs to do more in and through our lives. And it's not just in the church, guys. We are the church, so he longs to do more in and through your life in the marketplace. But we can't settle. Reminds me of when my daughter was uh, a really little girl and she wanted, uh, she wanted a Barbie bike. And the funny thing about that is my daughter is anything but Barbie. I mean, she's a beautiful, gorgeous young lady, but she's always been a tomboy. I mean, she, you know, growing up, she never wanted a bow in her hair. I mean, she never wanted to wear dresses. She always wanted to run and play in the woods. So when she asked for a Barbie bike, I was like, are you you serious? (laughs) And uh, she's three or four years old. And she said, yeah, daddy, I want a Barbie bike. So I got her a Barbie bike for Christmas. Christmas Day, she walks out into the garage and she looks at her bike and she does this. I can still see her little face. She goes, hmm. The Barbie bike had these plastic faces of Barbie in the, in the wheels, which is kind of creepy because when it spins up and down, you know, her head's just, you know, that's kind of creepy. She looks at it and she goes, rip, 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 rips the Barbie out of the wheels. And then she looks at, they had these little streamers hanging off the end of, you know, and they were all pink and everything. Boom, boom, she pulls those off. It had a little uh, soft uh, protection pad on the crossbar right there on the handlebars and it had Barbie all over it. She unvelcros that and tosses it off to the side, totally strips her bike down. And then she looks at it and she says, now that's a bike. She starts with training wheels. And she's riding this bike on training wheels. We lived in Mississippi a long time and uh, uh, our house sat back and um, I counted them. Uh, 647 trees. I counted those before we moved to Millen because I knew we wouldn't have any here. And so our house was back in these trees and we had this long concrete driveway. And she would ride that bike down the the driveway and then make this turn. And she'd always turn left because that's what she was comfortable with. She'd turn left and then she would ride all the way back down. And we had this kind of turnaround pad by our, our garage doors and she would go to the left. She'd just do that over and over and over. So much so that she wore that wheel down. You know, the right was looking pretty new and the left was just slowly shrinking down. And so then her bike kind of rode like this. And some of you dads remember that sound, you know, when your kids are on training wheels and it's kind of that, you know, when their wheel starts shrinking. So I'm looking at her as a father saying, it's time. It's time to get off the training wheels. And so my little daredevil daughter, though, she was nervous for whatever reason. She didn't want to get off the training wheels. She thought that was it. She thought that was the experience. She thought that was all the fun that she could have. And so one day she came out, and this was a routine. She'd come home from school, and and then I'd come home from work, and we'd go out, and we'd ride bikes together and do things together. And I told her, I said, Claire, it's time. Let's take the training wheels off burst into tears, crying, no, daddy, don't take my training wheels off. I can't do it. No, daddy. And so I said, okay. God does that with us. And then the next day we come out and I said, let's take off the training wheels. She starts crying, no, daddy, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I said, okay. Third day she comes out, the training wheels are off. And she's fearful to even get on her bike. And I said, come on, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Now, our house was back in the woods, and it went down this long driveway. And at the driveway, there was a a kind of a drainage ditch, a nice natural hill, kind of a little horseshoe. 
And so I, I'm, I'm going with my daughter, just as many of you have done in the room. You're running with her, running with her, running with her, and let go. And she goes for a little bit and crashes. Starts crying. I run over. I pick her up. I dust her off. I said, let's get back on the bike. So she gets back on the bike, and I run with her and run with her and run with her. She goes a little bit further and crashes. And I run to her, and I pick her up, and I dust her off, and I put her back on the bike. And I said, let's go again. And we did that until she finally felt that moment. And some of you even remember that moment. I can feel it welling up inside of me where I let her go and man, she was free. And her long hair, I mean, it was just blowing in the wind. I could see it. By the end of day two, She's not just riding her bike up and down our street. She's going down that hill. And I mean, she's screaming and just yelling like a little girl should when she's enjoying the bigger thing, the greater thing. Prayer is a difference maker between the God-sized mission that he wants to do in our lives versus the things that we'll settle for in our own little lives. With my daughter, she would have settled for training wheels, but I knew that she was missing the greater experience that awaited her. Prayer is the key to opening up the greater experience that God has for you, the greater experience that God has for me. And for many of us, he comes and he says, let me take the the training wheels off, spiritually speaking, and we go, oh, we're not ready for that. Whether we fear it or it's just the idea of the unknown or we don't think we're ready for it, we tell him, "Uh uh-uh. But when we pray and begin to ask God to come and do that thing in and through our lives that we could never do on our own, when he takes those training wheels off, we go, yes. This is what I was meant to do. This is what life is really all about. This is what mission-centered living really is. And we go, man, I was missing this. How do we prepare to advance the gospel? We remain in Christ, but we pray and ask God for things even that we're not ready for so that he might do the greater work in our lives, so that we might experience the greatness of what he's called us to. You've got most of my notes here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move over some of this fairly quickly as we close our time together. A couple of things I do wanna point out to you, and that's this. Prayer is not a program, it's a relationship. In other words, it's not the program for you and for me to just keep asking God for things that we think we need in our lives. Prayer is not a program. It provides the clear path to understanding how God wants to work through our lives to advance the gospel. Prayer is us talking with God so that he can talk to us. I don't know if you realize this, prayer is a two-way conversation. And I'm guilty of that. I'm chuckling because I'm guilty of that. I I think of prayer sometimes as just a one-way communication path to my genie God who will take care of my needs when I talk to him about it. And prayer is a, it's a two-way path of, of conversation. And it's not, it's, it's not good, in, in my experience, unless the other path is heard. Unless, unless when I'm speaking to him, that I hear something back. That's when I begin to understand of what it means to engage what he's called me to engage. I wrote this down. It might sound offensive, but it is true. This is why we must never prostitute prayer, degrading it and our perception of God into something mechanical just to get our way. 
Why did I write that this way? Because when we pray just to get our way, we are belittling who God is. We're making it about us. If it's just about our needs and we're offering our prayers to God and it's only about him taking care of things in our life, then we have dumbed down the gospel to just making our life safe and secure and happy and comfortable. And Paul said, I don't care if I die in prison, I'll be with Christ. But if I get out, I'm gonna be with Christ. So either way, it's good, I'm good with that. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, it's not about my needs and about my comfort. It's not about my situation. I see all of that as God working his will and way out in my life so that others will know about Jesus. So we must not prostitute prayer, degrading it, just making a mechanical system to get what we want. We can't do that. That's not what it's about. Second point here, prayer is a delightful position of dependency on God. I wish I had time to unpack this. It's just the idea of this. Uh, in verse 20 in your scripture, the idea uh, is that when we pray, it invokes courage and, and confidence. Paul was courageous. He had confidence because he was being prayed for and he himself were praying. If you go back and look in chapter one, three times he says, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. When I use the word invokes, I underlined it in, in my notes. I'd, I'd encourage you to underline it. But invoking means we're appealing to a greater authority in our life to do something we can't do by ourselves. And that's what prayer is about. It's about invoking what God longs to do in your life so that you'll advance the gospel. That comes through prayer. I'm gonna leave you the rest of those notes and just kind of give you a, a bridge here for you to finish this study on your own. I didn't intend to get through the 13 things I joked about at the beginning, but I did list them for you. And I was really doing that so that you guys could have some homework over the break. We're not meeting for two weeks. So the second, the second way that we prepare to advance the gospel is the daily outworking of that expression. So there's an inward thing we must do every day and there's an outward thing that we must do every day. It's captured in verse 27 of Philippians where it says, let the man of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wrote the question down for you there. How do you accomplish this? What I want you to do, if you choose to do it, is go to Ephesians chapter five, verses one through 21 over the next two Wednesdays because we're not meeting together. I've written down the things that should be outward expressions in our lives when we are advancing the gospel. In other words, when you see these 13 things that are exposed in the scripture being exposed in your life, then you will know that's a clear sign that the gospel is being advanced in and through your life. It starts with imitating God. It ends with living a life of humility by submitting to others. Let me pray and then we'll get out of here, guys. Enjoy that study in Ephesians 5. God, thanks for these men. I thank you for our time together today. I pray you would help me advance the gospel in all things that I do today through my lunchtime, uh, through my time uh, this evening uh, with people that I'll meet and be with. And Father, help these men to do that as well. Help us to see as you see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, guys. See you back January 8th.